Hi, this is Dr. Cameron Thompson. Welcome to the Marquesa de Carabas podcast, mapping the real world of culture and meaning to be a resource and inspiration for a culture of human flourishing. It's been a few months since the last podcast episode, and I wanted to check in on why that is. Why the pause? What's been going on? Well, we've been in the process of moving, so despite the temptation to let this become one another of those great things, great podcasts that started and then left off after a few episodes, we have a legitimate um, sort of period of of transition here that we've entered into and finally getting settled back in to be able to create more episodes for this podcast and continue our adventure. So why the pause? We've been selling our house in the Twin Cities, that is to say, trying to sell our house, since you can't actually sell a house, you simply put it on the market, and along with a number of other things, in cooperation with a real estate agent and so on, hope that it sells. So, to be technically accurate, we've put our house on the market, and we're moving out of the Twin Cities. Where we are moving to, as of yet, is a mystery, and hence part of the the length of time in this this whole process. So we are currently living up at an old farmhouse where my wife grew up and where her father grew up, uh, and really, frankly, just down the road from where his father grew up and his father grew up. So for a number of generations now, uh, my my wife's family has lived within uh, this sort of one-mile one radius of where we are, temporarily living for the time being. What are we doing just now while we're up here? I thought I would update you on this because the the whole purpose of our exodus out of the Twin Cities and the adventure that we are embarking on and the nature of the adventure that we're embarking on is actually intimately related to the main theme of this podcast, which is sort of mapping out the real world of culture and meaning and working for cultural renewal, and that is the that is the very adventure that we are on, uh, in a in sort of a broad general sense. So, what are we doing up here, just now in the middle of the countryside uh, of of far northern rural Minnesota? Technically, it's just far northern rural uh, country in Minnesota. Geographical terms, it's the center of the state. Anyhow, we are ironically. In the middle of what has been called a label, recently labeled a food desert, I say ironically because we are surrounded by rich arable land. In fact, we are surrounded uh, in any direction you go for at least an hour drive. Uh, surrounded by, uh, by, by, by very active agricultural, uh, thriving agricultural activity. So, what what is a food desert? Briefly, um, that is. The technical term for food de- definition of a food desert is something along the lines of there is little or no access to affordable, healthy food within something like a, a half hour drive or something like that, something along those lines. No reasonable, affordable access to healthy food in the nearby vicinity. And ironically, that is true here. There's not actually even any farmer's markets in the immediate vicinity of where we're at. The closest grocery uh, to where we are, despite being just outside of a town, really a village, uh, to be just outside of, of, of the nearby village, the nearest grocery itself is about a half-hour drive away, and that is technically actually a Walmart, uh, so that doesn't quite qualify 
qualify for good access to affordable, healthy food. Um, but but you have to go much further. And there's not even very, very, very many farmers markets in the area. And that's an interesting phenomenon that maybe we could explore some other time, kind of do a case study and delve into the role of industrialism and commercialization and its impact on traditional agriculture and family farms. Uh, but that's for another day. So here we are. Uh, we are growing a bunch of our own vegetables, uh, making quite a bit of our own bread uh, to cut costs on grocery shopping excursions back to the cities. We are not the kind of person who really, we're not really setting out to do the self-sufficient uh, homesteader uh, way of life. That's, that is a, a great vocation for those who choose that. That is not for us. That's not what we are, we're aiming for. However, there are some very real economic um, you know, factors that, that come into play, living where we do in the sort of on the path that we're on. And part of that is we want access to good, healthy, um, healthy and organic food. We effectively have to grow a lot of that ourselves, at least to, to heavily supplement what is available. Now, interestingly, that also puts us at the mercy of the sort of various weather shifts and climate changes. Uh, and not to get into the politics of all that, because climate changes periodically regardless of human activity and we're entering into a colder wetter period in this particular geographical region and so things haven't grown as well or as quickly we're about a couple of weeks to a month behind where things ordinarily would be that is to say we are still waiting on a lot of that food to actually grow to maturity we're also raising 15 chickens because that was the minimum order uh, from the hatchery. We initially thought we'd get maybe just a half dozen, but we've now got 15 chickens that are about eight weeks old uh, to eventually lay eggs, which is uh, to get a, get a source of our own eggs that we know will be good and accordance with what uh, the, the quality of food we want to eat. Uh, and this is also a great formative experience for our children. And so we've embarked on that endeavor and the kids are really loving it, being able to take care of those. It's, a, it's like I said, it's formative and, and and it's something that they can take responsibility for and grow. Uh, and, and it's uh, seen them really come into their own with that, which has been wonderful to see. And since we may be here for the for overwinter, overwintering here in the in the far cold north, we are looking at what we need to do to this house to make it more habitable without putting too much into it. Uh, we know we're not planning to stay here very long. This is not our forever home. We are, as I said, sort of staying here while we are in a period of transition. We're very blessed to have this opportunity to be out here, and we love the countryside, and that's something that's developed a lot more uh, in leaving the city and the advantages to living in a rural zone. But we are not looking to get established uh, as a farming family in a farmhouse here, at least not in the conventional sense of the term. And we're anticipating moving once the uh, the opportunity arises for us to do so, and we have a clearer sense of where it is we want to move to. So in the meantime, here we are, trying to enter into a period of peace and stability as we discern our path forward in carrying out our mission of healing and cultural renewal. And I say the word discerning, though typically I do not like that term. Anybody who's who's um, talked to me for any length of time or ever had me in, in class knows that that is one of the uh, the words that is usually overused and I dislike it for that purpose. But discerning really is the correct word for this here because discerning means cutting away or shaving away what doesn't belong. It's really a grinding process of clarification by, re by removal, that is, of simplification. In fact, the word simple from the Latin simplex, uh, comes from the Latin word simplex, which means single-minded or focused and whole. And so 
this this simplification, this clarification by removal means we, re we are looking to remove everything that does not belong, everything that is not in accordance with our mission, everything that is a hindrance from or distraction from the way of life that we are trying to craft. And so that is that is what we are entering into, and it's very peaceful in its own way here, despite some of the, if you will, material struggles of physically moving all of your stuff out of where we've been living for uh, the better part of a decade. And in fact, we're moving out of now a neighborhood where my wife and I have lived each for well over 10 years now. Uh, and so there's all the things that go along with that and the stresses of that process. We nonetheless have been able to enter into a, a period of peace and stability here while we regroup and discern by removing everything that doesn't belong so we can move forward more wholeheartedly uh, with single-minded purpose. And that brings us to the question of, so why are we moving in the first place? To put it in the simplest way, we are seeking after peace and pursuing it. We are seeking after peace and stability and for freedom to carry out our mission in life, that great work that we've been given to do, and to live a more noble life for ourselves and our children and also thus be free to live in service of others in working, for, working in the project of cultural renewal, working to establish a culture of human flourishing uh, and living on a more human scale and human pace of life. That is to say, we are working on crafting a way of life conducive to human flourishing, one that takes into account our personal many weaknesses and being real about what we personally need, which may be different in some ways from what other people need to flourish, uh, to both be well and do well. A little bit deeper into the philosophical motivations underlying this, we are taking a stand against the predominant ideologies in American culture and seeking to establish freedom from the bourgeois spirit, or the bourgeois mind, as it's been called. In other words, to craft a more human, if you will, artisan-like, noble way of life in a more, more in harmony with authentic human nature and indeed more free to serve God than mammon. There's a great essay on this uh, called Catholicism in the Bourgeois Mind by anthropologist Christopher Dawson, uh, and it's his follow-up essay to that, which is Bolshevism in the Bourgeoisie, both of which were uh, published, I believe, in the 1930s, and uh, both of which I plan to publish audio versions of in the next episodes of this podcast, because I think those two together form uh, a very great resource in understanding sort of the development of the modern Western society or modern Western global culture and shine a light on at least the beginnings of a path forward. I also believe that Nicholas Berdayev uh, also written on this idea of the bourgeois mind in modern Western society, though I forget the exact source of that. I'll try and uh, publish that into the blog if I can find written versions of those or at least attributions or sources for those as well. Uh, I can, however, give you just now a summary of some of the ideas or what does this mean? What is the bourgeois mind? What is the bourgeois spirit? As articulated uh, by the early 20th century thinker John Ronald Raoul Tolkien, who you may uh, know as the famous author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Tolkien describes how the bourgeois spirit looks as follows. Indeed, they hardly know a good bit of work from a bad, though they usually have a good notion of the current market value, and they can't make a thing for themselves, not even mend a little loose scale of their armor. And he's giving an account of dragons here. But also elsewhere, he criticizes the bourgeois spirit, saying that the most that can be said for them is this, 
They intended to pay Bilbo really handsomely for his services, and they had brought him to do a nasty job for them, and they did not mind if the poor little fellow doing it if he would. But they would have done their best to get him out of trouble, if he got into it, as they did in the case of the trolls at the beginning of their adventures, before they had any particular reasons for being grateful to him. But there it is. Dwarves are not heroes, but calculating folk with a great idea of the value of money. Some are tricky and treacherous and pretty bad lots, and some are not, but are decent enough people like Thorin and company, if you don't expect too much. Tolkien uses the the, the work known as The Hobbit of Bill's Adventures in the Dwarves uh, with the dragon Smaug. The story, uh, the original story, of course, is nothing like at all the three-part movie, uh, but that's a conversation that you can have with other people. Uh, but the point is that he, he actually weaves strongly into this criticism of the bourgeois spirit and the bourgeois mind, both in the person of the dragon and in the, the, the personality and temperament of the dwarves as sort of recaptured here. And in many ways, it is a story of Bilbo Baggins himself overcoming his bourgeois ways of being and embracing a more noble path, embracing a life of adventure uh, and risk uh, in ways that are uncalculated but more gratuitous. Uh, and of course, we can explore this more in detail, or rather Dawson explores this more in detail in his essays that, uh, as I said, I will try and include in a future episode. Now, we believe that this move away from a society, or at least away from being so immersed in a system dominated by the bourgeois spirit, uh, a society, a system so immersed in uh, worship, uh, effectively, really, we would try, try to say something like a, a worship of mammon. Uh, mammon not being wealth, mind you, but a concept that... that, that um, is attributed to the idea of, or that captures the idea of abstract, uh, the abstractification of value, abstractification of meaning that's captured in the idea of currency, or, or even further, the, the speculation on currency uh, that, that drives uh, not only the economy, but the sociocultural paradigm within, uh, upon which that the, uh, the, the Western, Western civilization, Western society, modern, the modern West has been built on. We believe that a move away from this uh, towards a more noble way of life, towards a more human way of life, is is absolutely vital to any renewal of culture in our day. And even for ourselves specifically, uh, not only as part of the bigger picture of uh, laying the, the, the foundations of a, of, of a more of a, of a society of human flourishing or civiliz a new civilization of human flourishing for ourselves, particularly in our specific vocation, uh, is, is necessary to remove ourselves from being so embedded within the urban context of, of, uh, modern American city life and employ and corporate employment in order to get away from even at a more ba at, at the most basic level to get away from the sort of group think, uh, if you will, and sort of dominant, ideologies that are just baked into the everyday practices that are required to live in such a system, to be embedded in such a system requires uh, and necessarily entails a lot of kinds of activities that shape your patterns of thought and behavior. And in order to be free and get that clarity of mind, to be able to clear our pores and open up to be able to see reality 
as it is, at least for ourselves, the way that we are made as individuals. We find it necessary to remove ourselves from that particular setting uh, to live perhaps a little bit more removed, though not secluded and definitely not isolated, but to live a little bit more connected to reality, to live in a way that's more unmediated uh connection to the earth, to natural life, frankly, to human life, to live more simply so that we can be free to live more nobly. We know for ourselves that that's just necessary. Um, One could even say that more specific to our particular vocation uh, is to cultivate what A.D. Sertiange has called the intellectual life in his book by that name, which I highly recommend. I think it was written in the 1920s, maybe earlier in French, but then published uh, in English around that time. Highly recommend it, uh, The Intellectual Life by Sertiange. But it's in essence a healthier balance or integration of contemplation and physical labor, uh, very much akin to the slow living movement in in many ways, uh, to allow us a maximum capacity for scholarship and idea generation and the freedom to bring those ideas into action to transform the world one space at a time. So there is a need in modern society for the return of the monastic spirit, which is really at the heart of what the vocation of the nobility is. And we also know that personally, we ourselves, as I said, require this particular mode of life in some ways to be able to become who we are called to be. Uh, And in future episodes, I I hope to dive into more detail of what the monastic spirit means, and of course, the many forms that this can take, as well as its place historically in cultural renewal, and for that matter, cultural struggle, uh, historically and and in future history, that is to say, uh, on the path forward, if we're serious about looking at a culture of human flourishing, and working towards cultural renewal, what is the place, what is the monastic spirit, what is the place that that holds in our society, and for us personally, and some of the different vocations that we have in life. Uh, some people are pulled to be much more uh, engaged in, say, um, in, in active activity, uh, and other people ha- are made to be more engaged in um, what, what I suppose I recently heard in a, an interview on the Tim Ferriss podcast with Josh Waitzkin, and how he has chosen to, him and his family have moved to a uh, more remote, in the sense of at least being more connected to the natural order, sort of living on the the verge of where the jungle meets the ocean down in Central or South America or something like that, as opposed to living in Manhattan, uh, just the very different reality that that brings and the way of life that that allows, the different way of life that living outside of the city allows for us, given our particular needs personally, uh, with our own temperament and character, and uh, also to, to really to be able to fulfill our own particular vocation more fully and more more wholeheartedly, more single-mindedly in that way. So that's a brief update on where we are at, why the pause in the podcast, uh, and where, at least in a philosophical sense, we are moving towards, what we are moving towards, and the life we're trying to craft for ourselves, and how that kind of connects to, you know, what we're doing in our personal life kind of connects to what the themes of this podcast are. Hopefully that is not only informative for you uh, and sort of self-gratuitously, you know, showing you what we're doing uh, and kind of the realities of, of my life here um, and, and what Dr. Cameron Thompson is up to. But also perhaps there's something in there that you can glean as applicable for your own life or perhaps you felt similarly that call to move away from uh, the 
being embedded in the system of modern sort of the modern western or modern american society and, and perhaps that might spark an idea in you of what you might want to do um you know what does it mean to exit the rat race for you and maybe we should start thinking about leaving the rat race is less of a luxury or a nice to have and a little bit more of a necessity uh, if we're to survive let alone to create a real cultural renaissance Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Marquesi di Carabas podcast. And uh, to please re- reach out and connect with me on social media, anywhere across social media, at C. Mikhail Thompson, or uh, hop on over to CameronMThompson.com to see the blog. Uh, hopefully I can get, some, get a chance to put up some show notes there for the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Don't want to miss upcoming episodes, um, especially as I mentioned here, I'll be publishing shortly uh, reading or audio versions of uh, Christopher Dawson's essays to provide some of those more, those uh, more salient resources for you to the degree that I can make them available. Happy to help, and let's continue working towards the renewal of culture. Thanks again.